Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. Todd, we've been watching a lot of uh, cooking and baking shows uh, around the house during this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, do you know what the most popular um, spice is in hell? We, we found I this don't. Out. It's cinnamon. Oh, my gosh. Really? Is that how we're starting? <laughs> 2021. <laughs> That is a that is a rough start. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, that is what I forgot to do, and I'll probably do it uh, around. Uh, both you and I have a birthdays in February, so I think I'll do it for February, where I'll excerpt all your dad jokes from the last this last year that of shows and and string them all together again. I forgot to do that around Christmas, so that uh, one will be left off. Perfect. Uh, well, you could just say like. Uh, 2019 and 2020 were having a uh, a fight about which year was the worst and and 2021 oh God, what are we hold on i got to i don't know is this a... <laughs> i guess i guess it's only uphill from here yes <laughs> Well, I had a, I don't know what kind of, I don't know what category of question this is, but one of my favorite jokes around the year, uh, throughout the year is saying it's a Christmas miracle Yes, because I think it's the further away from Christmas you are, I think the funnier it is. Totally. <laughs> and then oddly enough, like I can't figure out when that is the funniest or the least funny. Like, is it the least funniest on Christmas? <laughs> like, it's it's such an interesting. Well, I think it depends on the thing. Like, if if it's <laughs> actually something that could be deemed a Christmas miracle, then <laughs> that's the funniest, the furthest from Christmas. But the thing that is <laughs> least like a Christmas miracle, like. <laughs> We made pancakes. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Would be hilarious on Christmas. So I That's think. True. So I think. I think there's two routes. I really love to see like the the <laughs> the, the charts, the diagrams, and the <laughs> the exponential Ooh. funniness in the, the different work, cases. The workshopping uh, excerpts of yeah. <laughs> Uh, regardless, it's a Christmas miracle continues to be <laughs> Christmas miracle. So I've, I've got this page up and there, you know, there's always the little ads over on the side. And this was this is an ad for <laughs> the last swab. <laughs> what? Uh, I know I, I am familiar with this company because when I did work for Digital Trends, I would get um, all of the and I'm still on the PR lists of all of these companies that send stuff every day. And there's like a last tissue and a last like fill in the blank or whatever. And I think the idea is something that we traditionally throw away that can be used over and over again. <laughs> oh, gross. And so this is a plastic looking q-tip that looks knobbled at the end like it's got a bunch of uh yes points i guess for lack of a better word like if you would if you're growing your own crystals like on day one it kind of looks like all that weird novel stuff and that's like on both ends of the last swab now you have a choice to switch to reusable swabs and save our oceans from pollution wow i would think out of all the things that we go through a lot of swabs are well maybe i'm wrong here's an ocean full of garbage a person is <laughs> which is i'm sure not at all a photoshop that this <laughs> guy is <laughs> surfing through a the, a curl of a wave that's breaking and the wave is just a wave of garbage 
<laughs> just like we do. But I would okay. think, yeah, I mean, it just, aren't... Ca- it just caught my attention on the side. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's totally funny because the one that they that they that I know them for is the last tissue or whatever, and I'm like, isn't that just a hanky? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it would seem like both tissues and Q-tips are rather biodegradable. I guess I guess not having to make as many of them is part of the problem, but as far as waste goes. We watched the uh there was a series starring Zach Afron uh this oh, last yeah. year with a eco he partnered with a guy who's like a <laughs> vegan who loves loves the environment and everything and they they went around the world uh to different locations uh looking at different uh eco sustainability and just yeah all all this stuff it was really really well done uh program and loved it a lot one of the places that they stopped was to pick up trash on the banks of a of a river and the plastic based q-tips are oh. are basically they stay uh, forever and <laughs> indestructible become, right and become problematic with turtles and and all the things and so okay uh and so you never want to buy those if you have to do q-tips you can either do this one last q-tip that you will never <laughs> throw away or definitely get the paper rolled um uh, q-tip huh interesting q-tip is one of the only only things that I buy that I have to buy the brand ones mm. just because I've tried all the other ones and they're just such garbage that I'm like, well, I guess they've earned my Q-tip has earned my trust. Um, have you I meant I, I'm looking through my list of things that I've been keeping to talk about that I keep forgetting to look at. Um, have you followed anything that this is not a breaking story or anything with that Nexium cult? Do you I know haven't. anything about that? I haven't. There's a there's a whole documentary on them, right? There is, which yeah. I watched. It's uh, a little docu series, I think, on Showtime. Yeah, could maybe. Be. I don't know. It's somehow I was able to watch it, and I don't have Showtime, so maybe it's on Netflix or something like that. Um, but it's it's really good. I think it's like a four part series, and it's like it's pretty bonkers and stuff like that. And I didn't know a lot about the cult and and all that stuff, but. The funniest thing, because so it's mostly it's uh, the docu series is done from the point of view of one of the people who got caught up in it and was eventually arrested, you know, as part of this this whole sex cult thing that's all insane. Um, and so they have you know different talking heads and some from the police and the FBI and all that stuff putting all together. And one of the talking heads is this local news anchor woman from I forget what what whatever small town kind of they were headquartered in. And it's so funny because like newscasters don't talk like human beings, and it's just a part of their delivery and everything. So like. They would be uh, one. They would be talking to one of the people at the FBI or whatever, and they would be talking kind of like you and I, you know, not scripted and stuff like that. And then they'd get to the newswoman, and then she would start talking like this, and like <laughs> it's it was so funny to me every time they went back to her because I kept like. If I didn't see her, it would be like, oh, this is the narration for the <laughs> right. film or whatever. But she's just like sitting in like some office or whatever. And, and she, it's just the way that she talks is so funny to me. Um, but I think I mentioned this on the show, too, but I finally made it through the whole all three seasons uh, of a show on HBO called Wrecked. Yes. And it's a show that was on TBS and it's the parody of uh, Lost where, you know, they crash on a desert island or stuff like that. And I had so much fun watching that show and it was canceled kind of prematurely. So like the storyline of them getting off, you know, the island ultimately isn't satisfying. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they do get off the island, but then they end up on a but like they end up on all these different places and stuff like that. And like that story isn't really the point of watching that show. So I still found it pretty ultimately satisfying. But yeah, if if, if uh, people want something a little something to binge, there's three seasons of it, and it's called Wrecked. And I I really enjoyed it even more so than something I started watching this week that I don't know that I'm gonna finish even the first season. And I'm going to start off 2021 with everyone hating me because that show is Shit's Creek. 
I get through the first show, watch watch something else. It's it's a magnificent show that gets better every single year. Okay. Well, and my I, I don't so, find it unfunny and like so clearly we, all we watched the first season and then put it away for like three years. Okay. And then when uh season six was uh airing, which I think is the last season, uh then we picked back up with season two we rewatched part of season one and and went on and it is delightful uh starting basically in season two uh, you, okay well you, and, you and well, again there. i don't find it unfunny or i'm like i don't get why people like it. like it's it's you know better than probably the average show and stuff like <clears> that and like i get it and i love all the performers and stuff like that the thing that i'm not connecting with is the same the same reason that I never got into It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and some of those, um, like even Rick and Morty, where the people, the protagonists of the show are purposefully not likable. Like you're, they're all like, just kind of like the Seinfeld thing where like these are right. all terrible people, but like they're funny. Right. And like, I think just my capacity for, like a lot watching evil people do terrible so, things. A lot, of, a lot of that changes as okay. they learn about small town living, basically. Okay, and so, uh, yeah. By by the end of the show, uh, it it's an entirely different uh, group of people that you're following. Okay, so. well, and and it'll be funny because anyone who starts watching Wrecked, it's kind of the same thing. Um. Like, the people are, like, accidentally killing each other. Like, it's just very wacky and heightened and stuff like that. And all the people are, like, selfish and stuff like that. But at the end of every show, they're, like, learning the lesson to make themselves better people or whatever. Sure. But, um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep plowing through. Because I said, like, it's not like I don't enjoy watching it. It's just I'm missing that connection of, like, oh, it's another anti-hero of garbage people that are doing stupid things that make everyone, you know, miserable or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't know. David. <laughs> David, is that – I'm guessing that's Eugene Levy's son in real life. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they're all they're all very funny. Um you know what I should finish watching that I never did is uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. Which is kind of that same thing, but I found her, clearly, she is very likable and innocent. And, like, through her eyes, like, I didn't feel as gross watching all of the gross people around her. But that was that was kind of a nice show. Yep. Anyway, well, that's all. That's all for my list. I'll spare everyone <laughs> my thoughts on the wonderful Showgirls documentary that I stumbled <laughs> upon. <laughs> Uh, well, do you have any news? I do, uh, and and these news aren't recent news necessarily, but they are uh, topics that were brought up in 2020 and uh, regarding science, and uh, I found them pretty interesting. So the first nice. one is the uh, Harvard professor believes that the bizarre asteroid from 2017 was actually alien technology and this isn't isn't some uh radical weird guy this is the chair of harvard's department of astronomy and uh the object he's talking about was the first known interstellar object to enter our solar system and traveled to our so solar system from the direction of the star system vega vega is a star about 25 light years away and uh and, which is uh, a long distance. The, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not close by, but the object entered our solar system orbital plane on September 6, 2017. By September 9th, the object known as Yo Mama, labeled Yo Mama, Yo Mama. It's that's that's kind of how it's spelled. It's O U M. U A M U A. Yo mama. <laughs> what kind of Hawaiian garbage is this? Uh, <laughs> uh, so it made There it needs to be there needs to be a peace treaty in between like the <laughs> Eastern Europe European bloc and Hawaii and so they can exchange consonants and vowels with each other. <laughs> Seriously. So Ow, I just mau, mau. <laughs> mau, mau. Mau, mau. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
So it streaked past Earth at about 59,000 miles an hour on October 7th and moved quickly towards the constellation Pegasus. And and that's what we knew is it was remarkable because it was the first object that we definitively saw in our solar system that wasn't locked in our solar system. So like comets and asteroids and planets and moons all have an orbit within our solar system. This was the first time that something kind of came in and left <laughs> uh, and and its trajectory was not orbital. And, and so it came from somewhere else and and arrived and, and left uh, on its way somewhere else. So initially it was believed to be an ordinary comet, but uh, Leb, the uh, uh, Avi Leb is the Harvard professor. He says that uh, it theorized that it could be discarded technology from an alien civilization. And here are his three justifications for that statement. One is the object was five to ten times longer than it was wide, which is very, very abnormal for a naturally occurring satellite of any sort. Uh, gravity tends to make balls out of things, not to make uh, cigars out of things. <laughs> and, and so naturally occurring cigar-shaped items just have not been observed. They, they just don't exist out in free space. Uh, it was this is the whole this is the whole wombat's butthole theory of <laughs> how wombats can make square feces. There's something in space that's making <laughs> making square or rectangle objects. And yes. uh, <laughs> it's unusually bright, at least ten times more reflective than typical stony asteroids or comets, and. The trajectory, he said it had an excess push away from the sun. He said typically the sun's pull will significantly speed up an object as it nears. Then the object will slow considerably after it passes the sun and gets further away. However, this item accelerated at a slight but statistically significant rate away from the sun. And so he uh, believes it was being pushed by a force besides the sun's gravity alone. Leb and colleagues looked at numbers having to do with the shape and size of the object and concluded it wasn't cigar-shaped, but possibly a disc less than a millimeter thick and sail-like proportions. So um, they don't have clear photographs of this thing because they weren't expecting it. It wasn't pointed, but they've got all the data relating to it and so they've surmising and theorizing how it could project away from the sun and so if it were a sail where it was catching the solar wind uh, that would explain part of that so there's no definitive proof uh this is just the head of uh <laughs> the the harvard's department of astronomy surmising that he believes that it wasn't an asteroid it was uh, uh, a rock. It was actually discarded alien technology that traveled through our solar system. Weird. Weird. That, as you were uh, saying that, it reminded me of another story I meant to pull. And so um, I did a – this might be a cluster because I just did a quick search and, and am reading off the Daily Mail, which is a, kind of a European rag. But there's this, this thing um, – that was part of, you know, it bothers me now that everybody was just calling it the coronavirus relief bill when it's our defense budget. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, anyway. Um, but part of that, uh, signing corona, uh, the coronavirus bill kicked off a 180-day countdown for the Pentagon mm. and spy agencies right. to reveal to Intelligence Committee everything they know about UFOs. So um, there's been a lot of interesting talk, and I'm I'm not gonna read this article because it's all over the place, and it's, it's from it's from Europe, um, but it kind of started with that raid on Area 51, and there's that guy uh, Tom DeLong who was part of the band. I, he's either from Sum 41 or Blink 182, one of those one of those two band pop punk bands with numbers in it that 
were all around in the early 2000s. But he's like started a fairly legitimate like extraterrestrial observation type whatever. Um, and because of him, he got the government to admit that there is quote unquote extraterrestrial things. You know, it's not like alien bodies sure. or anything, but that they have. And th then there's been a couple people over this last year, different higher ups from different agencies in the government saying, you know, yes, there have been things that we found or whatever. But like the news cycle in 2020 was so insane that like the revelation that we have like alien technology right. of some sort was like, whatever would have, would have been on page seven. <laughs> Seriously. And, and so, yeah, part of this defense budget slash COVID <clears throat> relief thing is that um, there has to be some sort of, of uh, disclosure of things that we know about UFOs. So, and, I, and I've seen a, couple places where one of those higher-ups has said things will be revealed in the next 20 years you know they they postulate or speculate that like that somebody big at, at nasa said in the next 20 years there will be proof of alien life and you're like well if we don't have a lead on that yet <laughs> how could you possibly say that within 20 years right. which means that they must have a lead on something that that's my my that's your belief. guess well i i'm guessing that that's just going to mean we're going to find some amoeba somewhere on mars or saturn or like on one of these places that we're finally right. kind of getting um but who knows the aliens are coming for us indeed they are are you familiar with um, s flying snakes? Sort of. <laughs> so, like, I know that they exist, but I'm not really sure. There's there's 10 species of snakes that can glide uh, from tree to tree and from tree to ground up to 75 feet laterally. And so, wow. uh, you know, 25 meters is, is how they're saying. And so these... Um, They've evolved to glide, says uh, Yeaton, uh, John Hop. Uh, I think his, what is his first name? His first name is Isaac, of course. Isaac Yeaton of Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory in Laurel, Maryland. Uh, the paradise tree snakes fling themselves from branches, and we've, we've known this for years. What they did this last year is they set up uh basically they, a they yeeted, wind tunnel they yeeted the snakes <laughs> they yeeted the snakes and so they set up a wind tunnel and then created models <laughs> electronically uh so so they flew snakes in a wind tunnel <laughs> with little uh targets on their back so that they could motion track what was going on with the snakes and uh then they took all of that data into some supercomputers and they crunched all the numbers and they showed uh, the flight dynamics of flying snakes, which hadn't been uh, detailed before. In an instant of a second, they flatten and become uh, more than twice as wide as they normally are. So they flatten their, flatten their bodies, but it's actually the undulation of their... <laughs> bodies through the sky so they they wiggle back and forth and up and down <laughs> to pro to propel themselves and keep stable in flight and those are the key elements of their glide trajectory is the undulation of their snake bodies and so uh if you haven't checked out the videos of the um <laughs> the snakes i i recommend not doing it because it's terrifying they're snakes and they they're flying that i'm i'm afraid of very few things and snakes i'm terrified of uh absolutely no reason uh you know they're they're well they're, there are reasons there are reasons <laughs> like but our biological programming <laughs> uh and and so that is ha that That's that was funny. revealed this last year and then um, 
we have uh, as astronomers we've found the edge of the milky way galaxy and this article <laughs> included let me see if i can find it this did article we, this sounds like a daft question but we did not did we not know it had an edge well we thought the edge was where the platter of stars ends and it turns out that it's actually like 14 times larger than that uh, because of dark matter and gaseous clouds around it. So what they did is they uh, they looked at nearby galaxies like Andromeda and, and others, and based on their mass and spinning, they're actually being slowed by our dust cloud or and our uh, dark matter cloud that is around ours. And so they were able to look at which galaxies close to us had slowed down because of us and they found the boundary. And then uh, let me see if I can find this article. It had the most ridiculous explanation <laughs> of trying to put something in perspective. So it literally says, so I'm going to, I'm going to text this to you so you can read it with me okay. because it makes, I think I've surmised what it's trying to say. And it's the worst human way of trying to visualize a distance. So um, the precise diameter is 1.9 light years across instead of uh, 120. So 120,000 light years is the width of the star platter of the Milky Way. And they're saying that it's actually 1.9 million light years, give or take a 0.4 million light years. <laughs> and it says, to put that into perspective, imagine a map in which the distance between the sun and the earth is just one inch. If the Milky Way's heart were at the center of the earth, the galaxy's edge would be four times further away than the moon actually is. <laughs> right say that again because like th okay. none of that meant anything to <laughs> it, it didn't okay so so here's what i what i think they're saying if you took a map of the milky way right to a scale where our solar system had us one inch away from the sun so we zoomed in the map of the galaxy until we were one inch from the sun okay okay now look at the whole piece of paper that that is on and it would be that piece of paper would be four times further away than the moon is from us because the paper would be so big because we're just one tiny infinitesimally <laughs> small dot in there so I'll read this again. So bigger, you say? Yeah. So <laughs> to put this into perspective, imagine a map in which the distance between the sun and the earth is just one inch. Okay. So I'm on board with all that so far. If the Milky Way's heart were at the center of the earth, the galaxy's edge would be four times further away than the moon actually is. See, now the phrase that I can't get past is the moon actually is like <laughs> so that isn't <laughs> the moon from us is actually, you know, eight, you know, eight light seconds away from us. Or OK, OK. And so it's it's way over there. So, so the moon, the map... moon in this in this metaphor is the edge of the galaxy. No, that we thought that we thought. <laughs> See, I, I'm telling you, it was, it was terrible writing. It's very uh, big, is yeah, what you're so saying. It's very big, and uh, the galaxy is, is huge, and uh, here we are. So. <laughs> well, meanwhile, I'm watching this video of flying of a flying snake oh, about – it's uh, it's about ready to launch itself off this tree branch. And there it goes. And it's going to go it's, get that lizard. Uh, I, I've watched this video. Yeah, so, it, like, it – it's like, well, like if you've seen a snake swimming in water, oh, but they're like launching themselves off these oh, yeah. tree branches. <laughs> totally. Well, they're not like falling. They are launching themselves. 
But yeah, and it is kind of a, through the a air. swimming and a ribbony swimming motion, I would describe undulating that as. Is the, is the word, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you say undulate again. <laughs> wow, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, I got to turn amazing it off paradise it's flying you know. snake. Yeah, it's terrifying. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so those those are the three things that I found particularly interesting from 2020 in science. Cool. Yeah, this is um, the the week between Christmas and New Year's is probably not the most uh, news focused <laughs> week out there. So there's not a lot that's going on. Uh, I did find two little things, though. Um, one of them being that vinyl just had its best sales week in all of history. Wow. There was one point eight million LPs sold in the United States during the week leading up to Christmas ending on the 24th. That's the biggest week the format had since they've been tracking sales since 1991. So the first time in 34 years, LP sales outpaced CDs during the four separate weeks in 2020, uh, which was a prediction that they made in 2019 when uh, vinyl saw its 12th straight year of steady growth. So for reference... For reference, if LPs were the moon and the center of the LP was, wait, no. <laughs> Doesn't so, work there either. <laughs> okay, so reference, there were uh, 18, U uh, 18 million U.S. vinyl sales in 2019 compared to less than a million in 2017 and less than, oh, now we're having the same problem. <laughs> This is how this is written. There were 18 million uh, sales in 2019 compared to less than a million in 2007 and less than 10 million in 2014. So they're bouncing all over the place. So basically in 2007, there was less than a million. In 2014, there was 10 million. 2019 um, or 2020, we're up to 1.8 million. So um, the top album was Paul McCartney's new solo effort, Three, which sold 32,000 units, making it the third largest sales week for a vinyl since 1991. So mm. interesting. Uh, and then one that I quickly, quickly grabbed in, in run up to the show, knowing that neither of us had a lot of stories, is an Indiana town lifts a 50-year-old anti-hippie ordinance. So nice. uh, the math, it was a lifted as a mass gathering ban meant to deter hippies. So officials in LaGrande, Indiana, last month abolished an ordinance installed back in 1971 that regulates gathering of more than 500 people that last over 12 hours. It was originally installed to prevent another Woodstock from happening there, which is weird because this is a town in Indiana and Woodstock happened in New York, a different state. Uh, uh, I called it our anti-hippie ordinance that the county commissioner, Dennis Kratz, uh, officials decided in December to remove the law as part of an annual sweep of the books to eliminate archaic regulations. So the hippies can once again, or I guess for the first time, descend <laughs> on LaGrange, Indiana. So that's those are the two stories Love that it. I was able to dig up. Love it. Um, so I, the thing I wanted to talk about today is actually a suggested, another mm -hmm. listener suggestion. We had a great suggestion a couple weeks ago from, uh, Chelsea, our, our listener, Chelsea, who now is suggesting our topics and helping me edit the show <laughs> after I post them. <laughs> right. Uh, and this, this, uh, topic is actually from Brian, the Unipiper who dropped us uh, a little message and said, uh, why don't you look into the Colossus of Rhodes, which I thought was a great idea because I had no idea anything about it other than it was a gigantic statue and one of the original seven wonders of the ancient hmm. world, oh, yeah. which is also I don't really know a lot about any of those really outside of the outside of the pyramid. So I thought this would be a, a great part to kick off what is probably going to be a seven-part series of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Oh, fun. So uh, the Colossus of Rhodes was a 33-meter-high statue. So it was about 103 feet, which is about two-thirds the height of the Statue of Liberty. So picture the Statue of Liberty, and it's two-thirds the height of that. And it was a statue of the sun god Helios, which stood uh, in... 
one of the most important trading ports in ancient the ancient Mediterranean, which was Rhodes. Uh, it was made by a local sculpture, Sharas, using bronze, uh, which actually I didn't realize until today, which is probably obvious to everyone else, that bronze is a mix of copper and iron, which for some reason I just never put together. Um, uh, so it was made of bronze using... Um, Let's see it. It was a part of the must-see list of the ancient world. So basically, the Seven Wonders of the Ancient World was somebody kind of compared it to a tourism program where it's like, come see all these great things or whatever, and just kind of got people out and about to see all these things. So um, the interesting part of, of the Colossus of Rhodes and probably uh, in the future as I investigate more of these um, is kind of the same problem we had when we looked at the Library of Alexandria, which is there is not a lot of actual good information of what it was or even where it was. So we'll kind of back up and give a little bit of history. Uh, Helios, of course, was the god of the sun and was partic particularly worshipped in Rhodes, which is uh, one of the little islands in Greece, uh, of Greece and the uh, eastern Mediterranean. So... Um, the city of Rose uh, had five harbors, which so made it ideal for all the trade and was a was a big hub. Um, and so it was also a target for different places that wanted to kind of uh, gain power and gain um, military military and commerce control. So Antig Antigonus the first, which is who was a successor of Alexander the Great. So Antigua sent his son Demetrius the first to attack Rhodes in the year 305 BCE. So after a 12, uh, this um, attack went on for 12 months, and even though uh, they the Rhodians were outnumbered and um, had didn't have the weaponry and the military might, they were able to for uh, to stave off this. Um, this attack for 12 months uh, because they had some really good fortifications. Uh, so Demetrius finally gave up and negotiated a truce and abandoned the blockade. And Demetrius left behind so much of their materials from weapons to armors to like, um, you'll see those things. The one I'm thinking of is from Monty, Pi Monty Python and the Holy Grail, that wooden rabbit. It's like that yep. shape of that wooden rabbit, which were things that they were used to attack cities and stuff. Um, I don't know if they all look like rabbits, but left all sorts of things like that behind. And so the Rhodians took all that and melted all of it down. And in order to celebrate, they decided to there was no better way to to uh, honor their god uh, Helios than to make this gigantic visionary ta uh, statue. So the person in charge of this was a guy named Shars of Lindus, who was, um, he wasn't a direct, uh, he was one of, like in the art world and sculpture world back then, you had different apprentices and stuff like that. And I believe he was the apprentice of the sculptor that did um, a lot of Alexander the Great's stuff. So um, that apprentice was put in charge of making this uh, gigantic statue. So it began in, let's see, the project was, it took, let's see, it took 12 years to, com 12 years to complete and was completed in two, uh, 280 BCE. Um, and there is, right now, there is no evidence that it existed, like there's no physical evidence left of it, um, but Pliny the Elder, uh, was one of the Roman writers who would visit different lots. He was like a travel. Part of what he did was a travel writer, and so he he was uh, made a lot of descriptions of this as as well as a couple other writers. So according to Pliny the Elder, it cost three hundred talents, which I believe is something like three hundred and fifty million dollars of today's money. Uh, and it stood at uh, thirty three meters high. Uh, about 108 feet. It was likely that it had a bronze outer shell, uh, shell, presumably applied in sheets and assembled on sites and was supported by internal struts made of iron. Uh, and and um, so basically, when you think of the Statue of Liberty, it's kind of the same thing. It has an internal uh, structure that plates of copper were, um, were or uh, bronze, excuse me, were were hammered on it. And so the Rodi the Rodians were 
well known in the agent world for their bronze work and had all different sorts of forms and and places to to form it like they would dig these big clay clay tunnels where they would fire clay with wax inside it to make different shapes so they were able to make molds and when they fired the clay to set the clay the wax would melt you know leaving that space and then they were able to pour their bronze into it to make all these different sheets and stuff like that so they were already well known for for their bronze work so this just really fit into into what of their what they already did um and so it started it started with the feet and then they put giant rocks in the feet of the statue in order to give it stability because we still don't know i guess i'll start with the things we don't know so a lot of people when they picture the colossus of Rhodes, they picture that giant statue of a man who is straddling the harbor and like holding you know very remnants of the statue of liberty holding some sort of torch and there's a crown that usually has some you know the beams of things just like the statue of liberty but it's usually pictured straddling kind of lord of the rings style straddling this harbor and the ships kind of go under and between the legs and most likely that is not at all what it was because um and they also aren't really sure where the statue was like it's always depicted in a lot of this stuff which we'll get to as you know right over the harbor but the way that their harbor is set up and the size of the statue and the technology that they had there was like no way they would get a statue of a man to just stand up with its legs spread out that wide over a harbor so it was mostly put um it's mostly thought to be put on a giant marble um base kind of like how the statue of liberty again is on a on a base like that so it could have either been kind of by the harbor in one of the strongholds they they think that maybe it was up on one of the the hills but the reason that it uh got a reputation for uh straddling the harbor and some of the depictions even have the torch that lit up with a huge fire and stuff like that and all of that is because of the inscription from a poet that um was put on the the statue itself and it would it says things like bringing light to the world or like the heart and so it's just like all of this romantic poetic language used to dedicate the statue that people who then visited the statue after it eventually fell down which we'll get to kind of took that and like we said like a tourist spot kind of just made these wonderful images of like come visit this you won't be able to see it and it just spread from there like all over europe and all over um all the places that that would travel to see it to this image that didn't really exist so um they speculate the statue may have had the uh the god helios with his usual crown of pointed sunbeams um and they found a couple other coins and a couple other things um that had some images of helios from that time and that area so they kind of have an idea of maybe what he looked like uh, the exact location isn't known um either on the high city center um so the one that that really got out like i said was the one that he's standing over the harbor but the dimensions required for figuring such a pose which allows ships to pass underneath made it a highly unlikely possibility and contrary to all ancient sources of the statue's dimensions so all that can be said for sure about the colossus of Rhodes then is that was a massive and it was a qual and it was and that quality was a particular feature of the sculpture and art in general so um it was gigantic and ambitious and it advertised the commercial success and um their religious fortifications and then like i said became it uh, got listed on the list of the seven wonders because of the audacious size and since this colossus of Rhodes, colossus is almost purely uh, the word itself is almost exclusively meant for a giant man or a giant statue whereas before it just kind of meant gigantic or huge or like but after this statue like it took over that word and kind of only meant gigantic uh statues like that um so along with some of the other structures in road uh the colossus was toppled by an earthquake uh around 228 bce which was about 56 years after it was erected so oh and another way so they're trying to figure out like how 
like we, we get how they were able to make the copper and make the iron and stuff like that. They were very adept at doing that. But like, how do you stand up a statue like that? Right. Um, and so, like I said, they did put rocks in the feet, but then as they were building it, so they start with the feet and as they're building, they push up dirt around the statue and work up. So it's kind of, okay. I don't know how else to describe it. So like they build up to the feet, cover that with dirt, build the next part, <clears throat> cover that with right. dirt all the way till they get to the top. And, um, that way they were able to have this grand unveiling as well because there was this thing kind of hiding the statue uh, at large, which also meant they were kind of building it a little bit blind because it was mostly covered right. up as they were building it. Uh, now, the guy, uh, Charez, uh, eventually committed suicide. There is not a lot of um, record about why he did. Some people speculate is that they found a weakness in the structural and the knees of the structure. And apparently he was so shamed by it that he committed suicide. But then there's also one that just said like debt was following him and like, you know, to avoid whatever. And, but either way, uh, either way uh, he committed suicide before it was finished, I believe. So, um, Let's see the statues. So uh, during this earthquake, the statue snapped at the knees and then lay forlorn and untouched. Um, so and, and here's something else I don't know about is the Oracle of Delphi, whose name I've always kind of heard a lot, but don't know anything. But after the statue fell down, the Oracle of Delphi said that if anybody touched the remains, it would bring misfortune to the city. So it just kind of lay in after it fell down. But the statue was so big and so impressive that people still would like flood to the city just to see how big because like especially now that's laying on the ground, you can see how big it is like it's you're not looking way up. And right. like uh, so Pliny the Elder again made the following observations on the uh, the Colossus's awesome aspect, even when it was in fragments. So he said. Quote, this statue 56 years after it was uh, created was thrown down by an earthquake, but even as it lies, it excites our wonder and admiration. Few men can clasp the thumb in their arms, and its fingers are larger than most statues themselves. Where the limbs are broken asunder, vast caverns are seen uh, yawning in the interior. Within it are to be seen large masses of rocks by the weights of which the artist steadied it while uh, erecting it. So... Around 654 CE, so this is uh, um, about 800 years later, according to the Byzantine historian Theophanes, when Rhodes was occupied by the Muslims under the Umayyad Caliphate, the Jew a Jewish merchant from the city of Edessa in Upper Mesopotamia brought the bronze wreckage of the Colossus to melt it down and reuse the metal, transporting it to the east using 900 camels. So eventually it was all dragged away eight, 800 years after it fell wow. down. So yeah, that's kind of the, um, the, the overview of the statue. And it's just interesting that almost all of the, well, actually all of the representations are guesses because nobody really knows what right. it looked like for sure. But so much of that was just with the standing astride over the harbor is the image I think most people think of if if they're kind of familiar with the story and all of that is just not true. So right, and that was just fifty years of the eight hundred and fifty year history. Yeah, of the of the statue. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so it only stood for those fifty six years and and until until the big earthquake. So yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting stuff so thanks to brian for suggesting that if, yeah if anybody else has as stuff they would they would like to hear about definitely drop us drop us a line or message us or or ask us because it's always fun to know what you guys are wondering about and then going to discover more about that so cool very cool that's uh, all i had going back to work this week and uh getting back in the flow are you asking me or are you telling me that's what yeah. you're doing? Yeah, both. Oh, well, and I mean, I'm, my since I work for a family that works at the mall, which is open all the time, oh. except for like the day of Christmas and the day of Thanksgiving. And sometimes Thanksgiving, they're open for Black Friday. Oh. So 
everything's usually the same the same for me but i am hoping to um go visit my mom and dad this next weekend um since we weren't able to do christmas so that'll be good my dad has been sick for the last couple of weeks he uh and both of them i think we mentioned on his last show ended up uh, catching yeah. covid thankfully my mom has still zero symptoms and uh which is good because she's recovering from knee surgery and my dad was uh has been in the hospital the last couple couple days getting uh, antibodies and uh, fluids replaced because he got a little dehydrated and developed a little bit of a little bit of pneumonia that they were keeping an eye on and making sure that they got rid of and so he's feeling better and stuff but yeah I mean I've I've barely known my my dad to go to a doctor let alone spend a couple nights in the hospital so and just weird that like my mom can't visit him and he right he just has to thankfully the the wow hospital in Sunnyside Washington which is kind of a small town um, but they they have room uh, or had room for him and, and are treating him well and are able to uh, access all the medications on that um, res, uh, resdemosvir or whatever it's called and, and a couple other things that that they they gave the president himself so hopefully that'll take hold soon and he's already feeling better so I'm, I'm hoping that it works out that I can go see them next weekend so exciting exciting entry into 2021 2021 yes so another another fine year on the books yep that's right it'll be exciting to see to look back next december (laughs) at our optimism (laughs) and hopefulness and see how that worked out for us (laughs) but anyway thank you everyone for joining us and and uh listening to us (laughs) over the last five or so years it's always a bright spot in my week looking forward to doing this and it's been fun to do another year of this and i'm looking forward to another year to come so you can hear us on fun employment radio you can hear us before anyone else if you are a fun employment supporters club member so check that out they're doing lots of great stuff over there check out the unipiper for whatever he's doing i'm not sure what it is but (laughs) i'm sure he's doing something and you can always go buy masks from him so Go and do that. Um, do you have any Colossus-related music that I should look up to to take us out with? Uh, I were there I any don't. To- were there any toys named Colossus? Like I know there's a uh, a comic book character. I believe he's a, a character from Deadpool. He's like a big metal giant metal man that's named Colossus. I think. But I mean, there's the Colossus at uh, at. Um, Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. There has to be some novelty sandwich somewhere that's just called the Colossus. And like, if you can eat it all, oh, absolutely. you'll get your meal for free or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll find something to take us out with. Uh, we will talk to you guys next time. <laughs> awesome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>